This just in, two men were seen tick-tocking on the Boston Red Sox Fenway field today amidst the ice and snow. Right now, they are being pursued by the police. Hey, Jimmy, come on. Let's get in my garage. Get in here quick, 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 quick. Wait, wait a minute, Tommy. What did, what did you do? We were there at the Fenway, and you, and you tick-tocked it? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. But come on, hide here in the garage. Everything will be okay, because I'm going to get us out of here. I've got my very own transporter. That feels really weird. Yeah, that was wicked strange, but look where we are. Hey, this is Fidway South in, in Fort Myers, Florida. Yeah, a lot nicer here, don't you think? Pitchers and catchers report now to the field. Pitchers and catchers now report to the field. Welcome to Baseball Biz. I'm Mark Carpenter, your host, and with me, with me is none other than Mr. Brandon Noway. How you doing today, Brandon? I'm doing really good, Mark. How about you? Man, I am so excited. I'm so glad we live in Florida. I mean, you hear about our boys up there in Boston, all the Northeast. They're freezing their cojones off up there. I mean, it is cold. Yeah, I think we're probably like the only state in America, or at least the continental America, that's above... 60 degrees right now at the time of recording. It's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's Wednesday when we're recording this. And all those poor co- folks up north, you need to come down here just like Tommy and Jimmy because spring training has begun. And hopefully you don't have to have a transporter to get here. But a lot of things are happening. It's it's exciting time here for baseball. Yeah, Tommy and Jimmy have a little bit of trouble staying off the fields because I think they might have been that Super Bowl streaker we saw a few weeks ago. Oh, gosh. That's insane. That's it's nuts. I mean, some of the things going on, and some of the things Brandon and I are going to talk about is social media, not necessarily so much TikTok, but how it is with the game. That's going to be a topic we talk about today here on uh, Baseball Biz. Some of the other things we talk about, of course, is the hot stove. Brandon's got some stuff still cooking about that. We'll hit that in a bit. Spring training, of course, and then we're going to talk about. We've talked about a lot of. I don't know if I'd say abuses of the ball and the game. But modifications, and we're going to talk about how some changes are being made to the baseball, some loosening up or some tightening up, and that's happening. Also, we want to salute, uh, during Black History Month, we want to salute a man who I think who inspires all, and that's Mr. Chadwick Bozeman. He passed this past year, but we're going to talk about him and baseball in a bit as well. Also, we are going to take a look at changes that have been made to the minor leagues. Brandon, you and I have talked about this before, about like how there was 163 teams and the contraction, as they call it, uh, you know, Manfred <laughs> contraction. Anyway, I keep thinking, what did they, what did Thanos call it in Marvel when they had reduced all the people all at once? You remember that? Uh, the finger snap. Finger snap. Yeah, the finger snap. I, I could just see Manfred somewhere go, all right, how's it going? Like, yeah. And then suddenly the entire minor league universe just was gone. So wasn't half of them. I mean, we'd only have, what, only 80 teams. That was the case. But anyway, enough silliness there. And we'll give you some updates on past shows. Again, so I'm Mark Carbett, your host, and that's Brandon Noway, your co-host. Remember, you can always find us on Twitter. You can find me at the Baseball Biz on Twitter and Brandon at Sports Blitz Pod on Twitter. 
But you can also find this podcast here, wherever you are, obviously, and on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Buzzsprout, Google Podcasts, Amazon, Audible, Pandora, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and God knows where else. Brandon, anything else you can think of there, bud? No, I think you covered all the bases on that one. Yeah, I did have to take a breath in the middle of that. So, you know, anyway. So we, we thank you guys for participating today. So we're going to crack in here. And the first thing we're going to talk about is spring training. My gosh, like I said, I am so glad we got the warmth here. I can't imagine some of those players trying to loosen up in the cold weather up north. Oh, that just sounds miserable. It Here it is. The birds are tweeting. You know, where the pitchers and catchers have been called to the mound for spring training. And that started uh, today's Wednesday and, and Thursday. I think most of the teams are reporting these two days right now with the pitchers and catchers. Yeah, I know we had the, the – the Tigers and Orioles reported yesterday. Those are the only two I can think of off the top of my head. But I believe by the next time, next next week's show, when that comes out, we'll have all the teams in camp and workouts will be starting. Absolutely. So we'll, we'll be able to tell you guys a lot more bit by bit because this is it. We've been on this off season for so long, and now we are, we are in spring training season, and it is time, man. It is time to get ready. So... As you said, a lot of this is just starting to happen with the guys popping up here in Sarasota. Uh, let's see, beyond Baltimore Orioles, February 16th. So you got that right. Just ping, bang, pong. You got that. And uh, full squads will be reporting Monday and Tuesday next week. But uh, see, most of the other American leagues will report a day or two later to their respective spring training facilities. What else? Oh, I, I called around, man. I was trying to get some tickets, you know, just for the spring training. And I was told um, they're not going to be available until February 24th. Have they said anything like who's going to be able to get in? Like, can anybody get in? Or is it like season ticket members only? I I don't know. There's, they're going to obviously, I think they'll start with season ticket owners. For one thing, they owe those guys from last year. Uh, Yeah. And after that, I don't know. So they weren't, they didn't have much information to share with me. You know, I was talking to, People at those unique stadiums and also tickets.com. And I said, okay, great. You're telling me that they're not going to be available until February 24th, but the first spring training games, they're scheduled for Sunday, February 28th. I mean, I, I don't, still don't have finalization on what's happening with COVID and if we can go or not, if it's going to be 20%, 50% or what. And it may be different for each stadium or I should say field and for spring training. Yep, they seem like they're just... Flying by the seat of their pants, as per usual. <laughs> what was it? How long into the, to the uh, season last year was it uh, before Manfred and company at MLB even announced what the playoff schedule, what kind of thing that was going to be? So that that didn't happen to me. A lot of COVID changes a lot of things. I, as much as I like to tear on some of the folks there, COVID really has changed a lot of things. I mean, last year, Brandon, spring training got started, and then bam. March 15th came, and they said, you know, we know we're, we're starting to understand this COVID thing a little bit more, and it's not a good idea for us to be doing it right now. So, you know, spring training stopped last March 15th. Boom. And then it began again, and we had two spring training seasons. <laughs> so sometimes two more than we feel like we need. Two more, yeah. I mean, and there's, there's going to be changes. You know, I, I know you've been covering the hot stove and a lot of the activity been going on there. But I, I don't know what's going to happen here in the final steps. I mean, you were looking at something the other day, too, as far as looking at the spring training teams and 
some odds that are be giving. What people are saying, well, this team will make it there. Or this team won't make it there. What are what are some of the numbers you've seen? And and do you know who who's saying them? Is it is it Charlie next door down the at the corner bar or uh, somebody a little bit more uh, experienced or official than that? Um. Well, Fangraphs put it out. You can find it on my Twitter at Sports Blitz Pod. I retweeted it and. Fangraphs, apparently they're the ones that did it, but it honestly, it could have passed for the drunk guy at the end of the bar. <laughs> and I mean, some of, some of them, they make sense, to be honest. The Yankees first in the AL East, I understand, at a 91.6% chance to make the playoffs. But the biggest standout to me, you can call me a homer, but the Rays have only 18.6% chance to make the playoffs. Now, I understand them having a lower chance to make the playoffs because, of course, they lost Snell and Morton. But the Boston Red Sox are at 47%. And <laughs> I I tried to find how they did this. I couldn't find anything. If our listeners out there know how they do it, feel free to reach out to any of us and let us know. But last time I checked, the Red Sox got rid of their best player, which we'll cover in the hot, in the hot stove segment up next. They got rid of their best player. And so did the Rays, but how can the Red Sox stay so high up if the Rays so low? But I, I suppose it could be worse. We could be the Orioles at a zero point zero percent. Oh my god! Chance to make it. And honestly, I think the Tigers are probably too high at two percent chance to make it. Sorry, Tigers fans. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that that is kind of a sad thing for them. But you, maybe. Maybe Jimmy and Tommy had something to do with bumping up the Red Sox numbers. These guys are flying all over the place in geography. Maybe they do it in time like Doctor Who as well, and they've, they've gone back and manipulated things we don't know about. Maybe they did. Maybe they went back and kidnapped Kevin Cash and took out Blake Snell. Oh, gosh. Now that's a little scary. But <laughs> anything's possible. So, so there's a lot of things going on there. I mean, I'm talking about Charlie down here at the bar. You're talking to Fangraphs, which I think has a lot more credibility. But the thing of it is, none of this really makes any sense until we get through spring training and get a better idea, one, who's actually going to be taking that field, and two, how are they going to interact with their teammates, and what are they going to bring to the opposition? And that being said, Brandon, I mean, looking here at all of these pieces that need to come together, you know, We've looked at the hot stove. I mean, at this point, things not should be just cooling off. It's time to be served. All the ingredients, all the ingredients for the big meal are in the pot. You know who, who's going to take a look at the at the final meal preparations? I mean, you and I and Fangraphs, the seasonings. You know, the final seasonings are be, being added. No MSG. No, there's there still may be some PTBNL when person to be named later. <laughs> but outside of that, I think this meal's getting ready to cook. What are you still seeing on the hot stove, Brandon? Well, there's not much left. I have my chef's hat on not much longer, unfortunately. Pardon me, Brandon. We got a special report here. Okay, the hot stove just blew up, man. Holy guacamole. I, I thought we had all this done. I thought we knew everything was going to happen. But just as we were going to post the show, <laughs> the, the news broke about Fernando Tatis Jr. <laughs> How can this be? I mean, he could have given us, you know, maybe like a courtesy call or a heads up. Instead of doing it in the middle of the night, just before we post. Yeah, thank you, Fernando. <laughs> and I'm sure he's saying thank you to his agent right now. I mean, this guy, he just he's just entered Major League Baseball. I mean, what, what has he been there, a year, year two? How, how, about, how long has he been in the league now? Uh, he hasn't even been in for two years. Ouch. This is amazing. I think I was reading somewhere, 
They actually signed him with the White Sox back in 2015. And I believe, I believe he's 22 years old, so that would make him just 16, if I'm doing my math right. Anyway, <laughs> I mean, he's still a couple years out for his, before he's able to do any kind of arbitration. Uh, we look last year, what, I guess Mookie was still a year out before arbitration, and he got that unbelievable contract. Let's see, how much is he going to be making now? Uh, $340 million. $340 and a 14-year contract. I mean, that is stupefying. We're looking at a paycheck of averaging over $24 million a year. That's a lot to give a kid who hasn't even played a full season worth of games. I mean, that's my only thing is he's been really good in what we've seen, but he hasn't played a full season technically. That's the only thing I have. No, and I'm looking forward to it. So anyway, we just want to break this in with the news. It's amazing to see what this young man's done. I've enjoyed watching him in the past, and <laughs> I don't know what to expect for the future. So we thought we were cooling down the hot stove, and, and Brad is going to go ahead and do the rest of it right now. So here we go. Well, we'll start right here in the Bay Area. It's just this morning, I saw Tampa Bay re-signed reliever Oliver Drake. I did not see the financial finances behind it, but they did bring back him. Milwaukee, they re-signed lefty Brett Anderson to a one-year, $2.5 million deal. He had a 421 ERA and 10 starts in 2020 and has a career 406 ERA with over a 1,000 innings pitched. The Brewers also brought back utility man Travis Shaw on a minor league deal. He had his best two MLB seasons in 17 and 18 with the Brewers, but he struggled in 19 with them and had a 717 OPS with the Blue Jays in 2019 or in 2020, excuse me. The Yankees signed Robinson Chirinos to a minor league deal. The Mets signed outfielder outfielder Kevin Pillar on a one-year deal. He played for both the Red Sox and Rockies in 2020. The Yankees signed reliever Justin Wilson, who returns to the Yankees after pitching for them in 2015. He pitched for the Mets the last two seasons, so doesn't have to move across town or across country. Even. He has a career 327 ERA and 429 in a third innings. The Twins, they signed righty Matt Shoemaker to a one-year deal. He spent the last two seasons with the Blue Jays, but only pitched 57 in a third innings due to injury problems. The Braves signed infielder Jason Kipnis to a minor league deal. The Rockies signed first baseman CJ Crone to a minor league deal as well. The Brewers added right-handed pitcher Brad Boxberger. They added him in a minor league deal. And he has a last year he had a 3.0 ERA in 18 innings for Miami. Mm. He was one of their big bullpen pieces. The A's added Yasmero Pettit and Sergio Romo to their bullpen to help bolster that. The Mets signed Mike Montgomery and Tommy Hunter to minor league deals. The Big Maple, James Paxton, he returns to Seattle on a one-year, $8.5 million deal. He pitched his first six seasons with the Mariners, and he played the last two with the Yankees. Justin Turner, the big news of the week, he re-signed with the Dodgers on a two-year, $34 million deal with a club option for a third season and has an $8 million signing bonus. Those finances come from Ken Rosenthal's reporting. Wow. Now, does, does Justin uh, say, is, do they also, when he signed, have any other special measures that he has to do as far as COVID-19 and not running onto the field? Um, I'm not sure. 
hopefully when the World Series comes around, we don't have to worry as much about COVID-19. Yeah. Well, you, hopefully, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. I'm interested, too. You know, Justin Turner, I mean, he's not old, old, but it's interesting seeing this man. He's still getting a two-year, $34 million deal. If he wasn't already a Dodger, do you think, one, that they would have paid for him at all, or certainly would they have paid for him that much? Yeah, I'm not really sure. I mean, he has been – he was one of their best hitters in the postseason. So, I mean, kind of thinking about it, $17 million I think is pretty fair because he is one of their better players. So, right. I don't, I don't think he's really old. I think he's maybe like 34, I think. I don't know exactly, but – That's freaking agent, man. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> but this this seems like it could be a pretty good deal, you know. I think it's a fair price, and it's not too long of a deal to where you're committing to him, you know in his later years, but it's also not short to where you could maybe have a big year and then you could lose him to another team who pays him more. All right, I'm going to head back to the stove as the Yankees, they signed outfielder and first baseman Jay Bruce to a minor league deal. The Dark Knight pitcher Matt Harvey signs a minor league deal with the Orioles. And last year he was with the Royals, where in an 11 two-thirds inning, he had an impressive 11 Point five seven ERA. Oh my gosh! More of the Joker there. Yeah, I, I'm surprised there was any kind of room for emission whatsoever with eleven point five seven ERA. Well, hey, he fits in with the Orioles. The expectations are not very high, as we heard last segment. <laughs> All right, Lefty Rich Hill agreed to a deal with the with the Rays. So they add pitching depth to their starting rotation, which was desperately needed. The Diamondbacks signed infielder Asdrubal Cabrera to a one-year deal. Jake Arrieta, he is returning to the Cubs. And we had a three-team trade between the Red Sox, Royals, and Mets. The Red Sox are getting outfielder Franchi Cordero and two players to be named later from the Royals. And from the Mets, they're getting righty Josh Winchowski and a player to be named later. The Royals, they get outfielder Andrew Benintendi from the Red Sox, of course, and cash considerations from Boston. And the Mets get outfielder Khalil Lee from Kansas City. You know, when you say this, man, I can't help but think of that movie I saw the other day, Draft Day, and looking at Kevin Costner and, and how many trades he went back and forth and back and forth with. Now, those were kind of secret, actually, on the Draft Day. But nonetheless, it shows the complexity of some of the trading going on between these yeah, teams. I mean, draft Day, I think it's a, it's a cool movie to watch. It's not necessarily the most realistic movie, but it's definitely a, a movie I like watching. No. You know? Especially when he's like, I want all my picks back, all of them. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so coming back to the reality of the hot stove, what else is cooking? Well, not much, as the A's are bringing back infielder Jed Lowry with an invitation to spring training. And the Phillies sign outfielder Matt Joyce to a minor league deal. And with that being said, the stove is now turning off, and now it's time for appetizers. <laughs> okay, man. And, and i tell you what, one appetizer we'll give the audience out there is we do a raise-up edition every now and then. And we'll do that next week once everything's getting started. So Matt Joyce made me think of that. And uh, that's something we'll be covering as well. So if you guys have any specific topics or anything you want us to cover, again, you can reach Brandon at The Sports Blitz, and you can reach me at The Baseball Biz on Twitter. I'm, I'm at, at Sports Blitz Pod. At Sports Blitz Pod. Where are you again? 
at Sports Pod. Okay, everybody say it together. At Sports Blitz Pod. Okay, this is the hand slapping. <laughs> All right, I'm getting back on the road here, boys and girls. Yeah, but I'm anyway, yes. The same studio. Yeah, that helps, right? Or doesn't, I don't know. <clears throat> Pardon me. Oh, my gosh, dude. Well, anyway, it's, it's gotten crazy. So let's crazy starts. Hot stove's cooking. You know, like I said, time to turn it off, and we'll see what's going to happen next. But a lot of us look to um, social media, what's happening with, with the teams. I've always kind of seen whatever glimmers, some back ends, whether it's whether a story about a trade, whether maybe they show some images of uh, somebody doing batting practice for the team. Some social media I see from fans, and, and some of it I see from the teams. And I know, Brandon, you were doing a little bit more deep insight to some of this. And some of that, some of the dynamic of that's changing. What, what have you found? Yeah, well, Sarah Sanchez, who we've we've read some of her work on this show before. She works for BleedCubbyBlue.com, and she wrote an article that it's a move where I think really should get more attention. But MLB is eliminating social media coordinators, which are basically people under the MLB umbrella. They work for MLB that work on Teams Twitters or other social media platforms. They're basically letting them go. What? I'll make sure I didn't, if I didn't explain this well earlier, but the people being let go, they are paid by Major League Baseball instead of the teams. But Many teams have their own coordinators as well, and those people still have their jobs, fortunately for them. But unfortunately, the people that were content creators for MLB themselves, they've been let go. Do we have any idea what to anticipate? I mean, I'm glad to hear there's still going to be somebody doing coordination. Was was there some uh, conflict with what was being posted? Uh, is it just a money-saving measure? What What can we expect as fans? Um, everything I've seen, there really was no conflict. It just seems like a, a money-saving move. And of course, we're, we're not going to notice like a big hole per se in, you know, Major League Baseball on any social media platform. But, you know, some people who are favorites and did a really good job at their job, their skills won't be there anymore because they don't work there anymore. So they're they're losing what some people interacted with the team. They're losing that interaction. Yeah, and, and you know, not to take anything away from the team's social media coordinators, but I would have guessed maybe that people who are doing it underneath the MLB umbrella may have had a, a little bit more experience, maybe a little bit more resources, not just with the team, but across the your, uh, divisions and league. And I don't know. I'm, we'll, we'll see how that plays out. It's, it's kind of a sad thing because I truly believe social media is where people live. And anything that impacts either less content or not as great content, dynamic content, it's going to impact how fans respond. You know, are they as engaged? Are they upset that a voice or a face that they're familiar with will no longer be there? I, I don't know. It, it's something I guess we'll have to measure over the year, but uh, I'm sure some fans will be less than happy with it. Yeah, and I want to read this excerpt from from her article. And I feel, Sarah Sanchez? Yeah, and I feel bad. Like, I'm not using her opinion as mine, but she, like, echoes what I believe, and I believe what you do as well, pretty much to a T. 
And she writes, quote, make no mistakes about it. In a time when baseball claims it's trying to find new fans and appeal to younger audience, this move is just about the stupidest thing they could have done. Social media teams offer a direct connection between MLB clubs and their fans. It's the only way, especially now in such a disconnected world, a fan can reach out to their most beloved franchise and feel heard, seen, and cared about. And she also goes on to write that those people that work for their right, or work for the team's social media that run those accounts, they're basically the front line. They take all the hate messages after you know, bad trades or losing streaks. And they also get abused during the cheating scandals or front office staff misbehaved. So we kind of know which teams those are. And they're like the first line, whether it's positive or negative, the organization doesn't feel it. The the social media people do. And to let them go, I feel, is just not really fair. And that's what MLB said, is that their work wasn't worth it, so they let them walk. And that's crazy. I mean, you can think with a new season where projected – a regular season is going to be taking place, whether it's 162, 154, or whatever number of games it's going to be, you're going to need that person more than you did, obviously, last year with 60 games. You're going to need somebody who's got their finger on the pulse and who can reply quickly. I don't know what that will do with uh, the, the local team, social media, or even the front office. I mean, I'm sure they'll get their ear bent a lot more than, and like you're saying, as the uh, MLB employee was probably taking a lot of the brunt of it in the past. Yeah, and she also adds that it would be really smart for the the teams to hire those workers on for themselves. And we covered last week the teams, all these teams pretty much make profits except for the Marlins. So we know they can afford to bring on more social media people because, to my knowledge, people working in social media don't make a very large amount of money, so I don't think it would make quite a, a huge dent in their profits. So... I think it would be a good move, and he closes her article with this, and I think it's spot on. And what it means more than anything is that a multi-billion dollar corporation who claims to care about connecting with their fans has put a tiny amount of payroll savings higher on their list of importance than the one true connection they could offer fans, which says a lot more about baseball than any tweet ever could. Wow. And... You and I, I tell you what, man, we're, we're going to have to have, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But you and I talk off air and on air. Social media is so important just to the show in general, trying to grow it. We always ask like, how could we maybe get more, get more views on our tweets. So maybe more people will, will see us and want to listen to the show. That's our big thing of trying to grow this show. And it's honestly, everyone's on social media. And why would you eliminate those workers that specialize in that space? I mean, it just it shows that MLB constantly shoots itself in the foot, not knowing what's best for themselves to attract the most important types of fans, which is the younger generations, because they're the future. And you know what? You've, you've hit it right on there. That makes all the sense in the world, but I'm concerned about, like yourself, not necessarily turning away, but not turning away fans, but not nurturing future fans. And without that particular element, I think that MLB is indeed doing itself and its teams an injustice. 
if they're just looking at some of these things as a line item to be scratched, they need to understand that the impact is much larger than just probably what they're paying these folks. And I hope they wise up. I hope it doesn't hurt them too much, but I, I, it's something that needs to be discussed further. We've got to get Sarah Sanchez on this show. That's all there is to it. This lady, she's so insightful. I, I, I really like what you did with this, Brandon, but this woman, she seems to really hit the nail on the head very succinctly. And I, I'd like to have her on here sometime soon. Yeah. She writes some really good stuff and she's almost like the unofficial third guest of this or third host of the show. Which we, in in fact, we need to give her another plug. Where is Where's uh what's her podcast again? Uh, Bleedcubbyblue.com. It's, you can just find it online and, and you can find her on Twitter at Sarah Sanchez. Yeah, definitely check her, check out her stuff. She's good. Anyway, so thanks again, Brandon, for bringing that up. You know, it's – I'm trying to say what the heck is happening with MLB, and there's always something new. So Brandon and I never get bored, and we hope you don't either. I was looking, trying to figure out how to talk about this first piece. It was like, first, do I, do I look at it as a riddle? You know, what does – let's see, the province of uh, Turabia, Costa Rica, have in common and humidors, and uh, let's see what else. Oh, yeah, cowhide. Cowhide, I believe, from Venezuela. But anyway, what what do all three of these things have in common? And it is the baseball, the baseball that every pitcher from MLB holds in their hands. They're be, they're made there. They make over, let's see, I think it's like over 2.5 million baseballs there a year. And baseball, <laughs> baseball bats and everything else, and we've talked about this before, have been going through changes. How they're treated are going through changes. It wasn't but a few weeks ago, Brandon, we were talking about how the, the mud that's being used for these balls, what can and cannot be used. Bubba up there, uh, who got in trouble, you know, for putting a little mixture on there. And he's not the only one to do it. You know, he's not the only one out there. But he's been up there, held up and said, you got fired, Bub. And what's going to happen with it? So MLB's making changes to the ball in, in a roundabout way. I'm finally getting here. <laughs> and <laughs> it was announced by MLB. Yeah, I know. And also looking at some articles from uh, Eno Cyrus and Ken Rosenthal from about a week ago, it's interesting to find out uh, one of the things looking at a rule book here says, talking about changing the ball, manufacturers, quote, manufacturers who plan innovative changes in baseball equipment for professional baseball leagues should submit same to the official playing rule rules committee prior to in innovation. Okay, well, that's pretty interesting. So, so what's being done this? I'm talking about changes. And one of the things is they're affecting is called the core, C-O-R, the coefficient of restitution. And they're saying it kind of affects the incoming speed to the outgoing speed of the ball. <laughs> they're saying the ball is going to be less bouncy and it's got a lot more science to this. I'm sorry, I pick up a ball. I don't think about all these things, but obviously there's a lot more affecting this. And in some cases, they're talking about the difference it will make in the distance that the ball goes. MLB memo includes a footnote that says, an independent lab found that fly balls that went over 370 feet lost one to two feet of batted ball distance with the new ball. You may not think that's much, but imagine if you will, every three point feet of distance increases the likelihood of a home run. And if you're going to shorten that by a couple of feet, you know, we can imagine, we've seen some great plays you know, locally here by Kiermaier and a lot of other great uh, outfielders, center fielders, right fielders, left fielders who get that ball at the last second. 
Now, suddenly, and a lot of times they don't because it goes just a little bit past where they can reach. But if we're talking about losing a couple of feet, this can definitely change the game. Home run numbers, I'm curious to see if they go down or not. It's, it's going to be it's going to be unique. Yeah, I, I, I'm sure they'll go down a little bit because, you know, well, of course, with it being shortened a foot or two, we'll see maybe more balls being robbed of homers. And we'll maybe see more doubles or triples that end up bouncing off the wall that would have been homers in the past couple of years just because the ball is deadened. Or it might just cancel out and numbers won't really change at all. Yeah, it's, it's going to be weird. I, that's all I can think of because I'm thinking of where we were talking about putting mud on the ball a couple of weeks ago. And a certain mud was okay to use at the same time Rawlings was trying to find a way to increase the stickiness of the ball to give the, you know, the pitcher more control. So then I guess we're going to counter that somewhat with this. I don't know. There's somebody in MLB who understands this a lot, a lot more than I, obviously. And, but it's curious too. I've seen that some of the, you think about the treatment of this ball. Like I said, we talked before about them putting mud on it, but one of the other things I didn't realize is some of the teams are using humidors, which I always think of cigars, to store their balls. Uh, what's that all about? So, I don't know. See, the Diamondbacks, I think they just, uh, let's see, they they saw when they were using it, let's see, offense in their stadium plummeted after they installed the humidor. And according to public analyst Derek Cardi, home run rates dropped by nearly 20% once balls were stored in a way that better retained their humidity. And this is, again, from that article from Eno Saris and Mr. Rosenthal. But can you imagine that? I, I don't know what other kind of ways can they try to put some magic or take magic out of the ball. I don't think that there really is anything they can do much more to the ball other than you know changing the weight or the how much the seams stick out. It's just the way the game is now with you know exit velocity and launch angle where homers are king, where it's either, you know, Homer strike out. It's one of the two. It's not, you know, get on base, get a double or a triple anymore. You know, movement like it was in the old school days, which you know I prefer. But it's pretty much home run or bust nowadays. We'll see how that plays out. We'll see certain players. I'm I'm curious to see how they do with their home runs compared more like with 2019 or try to do some sort of ratio with 2020 and. There's always changes going on in this game, and a lot of times most of us don't see what's going on behind the scenes, and sometimes it slips something like this, and and nobody hears it because there's a lot more news going on. One thing I would like to take a look back at is this is February, and it's Black History Month. There, uh, a gentleman who I've always admired, an actor, by the name of Chadwick Boseman. And one of the reasons I want to talk about him today is because his depiction of Jackie Robinson in the movie 42. But, you know, he was a lot more than that. He made, a, he made an impact in a lot of different ways. I mean, he was depicting some true professionals in real life, like Justice Thurgood Marshall from the Supreme Court in a movie called Marshall. He became basically an icon in a Marvel with the Black Panther, so much so that they're not going to have another actor try to betray the Black Panther as far as the King T'Challa, which is the character that Bozeman played. He created an identity and a strength that a character nobody else is going to do. You know, he 
He makes these icons he depicted, as far as I'm concerned, he makes them stand taller, shine brighter, and more personable and engaging. So and nothing about this man. He's courageous, not just what he, he did with the people he played, but he is diagnosed back in 2016 with stage three colon cancer, and he continued acting and portraying these characters, not just larger than life, but gave us a real sense of their lives, too. So he gave a humanity to it. And we were t- talking earlier about one of my favorite movies, Draft Day. He was also in that is is Vontae Mack. And <laughs> I loved Vontae Mack long before I knew who Chadwick Boseman was. So here in Black History Month, I want to salute Chadwick Boseman and, and all that he's done. Yeah, and I, I knew him as Black Panther you know, forever, but I didn't know until he passed away, or at least I forgot, that he was Jackie Robinson as well. And, you know, 42 is one of my favorite baseball movies, and he really, really accomplished a lot. And even though he was still really young, he played not only black icons in movies and, you know, Thurgood Marshall and Jackie Robinson, but then he in himself was with Black Panther being, you know, the first big black superhero in not just Marvel movies, but just superhero movies in general. Right. All while being sick with cancer. Again, I salute him. And like you were saying, what he did with, with Jackie Robinson facing adversity, you know, Bozeman faced it in his own life on several levels and certainly with his health. But being able to depict Jackie Robinson the way he did, a man who, you know, who, who faced so much prejudice in his life, who had to fight his way through to for people to respect him, which that should never have been a thing. The man's talent spoke on its own, but he, you know, he had to, he was breaking into a whites only league, the first man in it. And I thought Chad, Chadwick Boseman did a, a great job of depicting maybe what that life was like since I, I will never know, but he certainly gave an intensity and understanding of the racism that was heaped upon Jackie Robinson's life. So salute you again, Chadwick Boseman and, Black History Month is, uh, you know, we talked about it last month. It needs to be expanded by a day because January 31st is Jackie Robinson and Ernie Banks' birthday. So anyway, it's been a great month, and maybe we'll have something more to say about it next week. But let's take a look now at the minor leagues. Minor leagues have been something many of us have been able to enjoy for years. Many of us may not live in a large city that has the good fortune to have a MLB franchised team. And whether you're in New York with the Yankees and the Mets, whether you're in San Francisco and get quite a few folks in that area, uh, whether you've got Giants, whether you've got San Diego Padres, whether you've got the Los Angeles Dodgers or the, you know, the Oakland A's, the Angels, there's such a concentration there. But as far as minor league teams – and pretty much you've got uh, so much space open between the rest of the continent from the, the northeast to the southwest. And those minor league teams have become a, a part of our lives. They're, they're one way that ties us into baseball. And many of us, if we have the good fortune to have a minor league team that's affiliated with Major League Baseball, we may get a glimpse of a player who's up and coming, new talent, or in some cases, a player who's already been at the Major League level, but maybe back in rehab. Maybe they had a strained injury or something, and they instead of bringing them right back to the major league team, 
they bring them up to a triple A or something to kind of get at last bit sorted out. So minor leagues would play a large part in the lives of, of uh, smaller communities. The math with minor league teams. There's been 163 teams in 2019. And MLB began its contraction. And the contraction was to take down the number of teams to 120. And what that came down to is you're going to have basically four minor league teams for each major league team. I mean, if we take a look, you know, like last year, like I said, there was no minor league season at all last year. The draft was minimized. Uh, no affiliate team took the field last year. The stands were empty. You know, no paychecks were issued for the games that were not played. And the players on these minor league teams, you know, they were not forgotten by all. By all. You know, some major leaguers like David Price, the enigmatic pitcher with the Red Sox, had been traded. and You know, he was traded to the Dodgers as part of that combo and it included Mookie Betts. But while Price didn't play last year, he's, his allegiance to – the team in the minor leagues, you know, grew beyond Dodger Stadium. He saw the farms that it took to develop that team over time, the Dodgers, and, and he took action. It was, it was reported last June, Price donated $1,000 to every minor league player in the Dodgers farm system. So people who weren't necessarily going to get anything at all, he at least gave some of them maybe a hand up a bit. So I, I respect what he did with them, Brandon. I think that uh, – he took himself beyond his professional commitment. You know, with, he certainly did more to try to help the farm teams. Yeah, and it's really great to see him, you know, help him out because it's easy for him to say, oh, well, that's not my problem. But, you know, it seems kind of like, you know, don't forget where you came from. So he decided, hey, these guys don't make much. I'm going to help them out and give them some money where hopefully, you know, they can buy food or pay rent, keep the power on because, you know, God God knows the uh, owners probably weren't going to pay them anything anyways. No, it's that's a sad truth, I'm afraid. And I'm glad he stood up. And I know others in different things, the communities were, were helping these folks. But the changes were made. You know, Rob Manford came out and said, this is what it's going to be. And when it first heard 162 teams, and they're going to be, you know, chopped down to 120, they actually took out more than what you would think. It was more than just the, the 42. It was 43, I think even a little more. Yeah, you know, I was talking earlier about the, the major league math. You were talking in social media about how they cut so many people from the teams. And they're looking at saving money. And I respect that. I, and you also mentioned with the social media where they're not cultivating future fans by doing that. And I think that's the case here with all the teams that, that the minor leagues are going to be losing here, Brandon. I mean, now where they, they're they limiting the teams, the 30 major league teams are only going to have four affiliated teams. And so that 120 teams you're looking at, well, where are they going? Each team is going to have one triple-A team, one, one double-A team, a high-A team, and a low-A team. And they'll also allow them to have some rookie and Dominican Republic teams, but I don't think those are something that's actually going to be measured as a minor league team per se. They're just someplace for guys to work out. Part of what what uh, Manfred was talking about last year is he said, last year, Major League Baseball, and when there was a minor league baseball association, there were two companies. They, They had a contract, and they renewed it ever so often, and they worked out the details, and it was called a professional baseball agreement, the PBA. 
Well, they went back and forth and back and forth. There were leaks about what was being said or not being said about the the, the uh, contractual thing. And I think in the end, Manfred got what he wanted, and that was basically abandoning it. It was a there was a contract with another company. They're saying, guess what? We're not going to work with you guys anymore. All those hundred and sixty three teams are now gone. What happened was that recently MLB sent out invitations. So can you imagine, basically, there wasn't any minor league teams, Brandon, for, for a bit. And earlier on, going back to what Manfred was saying, he said, you know, working with this organization, it doesn't make any sense because you're not doing things like you're not paying your players well, you're not keeping up stadiums, your transportation for these players. Sometimes you're sending, sometimes you're sending them in school buses uh, hundreds of miles away you know, and, and back and forth. There's just not – and players' expectations of moving into actually a major league career, they shouldn't even be there. Because if you're talking about a rookie league or some of these lower A leagues, no, it's, it's not going to happen. That, that was his complaint, I think, initially. But now we're looking at what's happening. Some of those responsibilities should have been with Rob Manfred and MLB in the first place because initially in that professional baseball agreement, MLB was supposed to be paying the salaries of the players. And, you know, so now that he's they've taken over the salary players with the minor league contracts are rising. They're saying as much as like 38 to 72%. The weekly minimum is rising from $209 at, to $400 at rookie level. So that's that's helpful. $209 to $500 at the Class A level and $350 to $600 at AA and $502 to $700 at the AAA level. So it looks like the players are going to be getting paid a little bit more for this, and I am happy to see that. I'm just not real happy, Brandon, the way some of these things rolled out. I just It's personal with me. Yeah, and you can go back to last week's show. We, you can hear these teams make – they make money. I'd say they make pretty good profits, wouldn't you say? Oh, absolutely, and that's, that's the truth of it all. And the – the social connection with a major league team in a small community through those smaller teams, it's gone now. While many fans will still go to see those teams if they're still in existence, there's not the same excitement when you're knowing somebody that you see on that field could be playing in the majors within a year or so. I want to go ahead and read here Manfred's uh, statement about doing all this. He said, quote, we are excited to unveil this new model, which not only provides a pipeline to the majors, but continues the minor league's tradition of entertaining millions of families in hundreds of communities. In modernizing our minor league system, we prioritize the qualities that makes the minor league such an integral part of our game while strengthening how we develop professional athletes on and off field. We look forward to demonstrating the best of our game throughout local communities, supporting all those who are working hard to grow the sport and shared unrivaled technology and resources with minor league teams and players. That all sounds good. I think, well, you know, he's a lawyer too, so I'm always looking through here and saying, is there any caveats? Is there anything you should say, hmm, I wonder about that. And one of the things he's saying, uh, we look forward to demonstrating the best of our game throughout local communities, comma, then says, Supporting all those who are working hard to grow the sport. Does that mean if you're not working hard through their observations that uh, you could be gone? I don't know. 
Manfred isn't working hard to grow the sport in my observations. He should be gone. I mean, come on now. Yeah, I know. Um, so here's what he's saying. that the uh, Not only that, man, you got to get a license. You know, you get your driver's license and all that. Uh, you got to be registered to vote. Well, MLB is going to make sure that some of those, <laughs> they're going to have some guidelines too. And it says each MLB club will provide minor league players and staffs to their four affiliates, one at each of the AAA, AA, high A, and low A levels. Minor league clubs will receive PDL licenses, and that stands for Professional Development Leagues. So they'll receive PDL licenses from MLB that entitle them to operate in the Professional Development Leagues, ensuring a new set of standards in terms of facilities and player working conditions. The license will create many improvements to the experience and lifestyle of minor league players, such as player salary increases ranging from 38 to 72 percent for the 2021 season, modernized facility standards better suited for professional athletes, improved amenities and working conditions for players and staff, reduced in-season travel for players and coaches, and better geographical alignment. I'm not sure completely what that talks about. Then we'll we'll see how that plays out. I mean, if one of the things I'm hearing about minor leagues too, and well, I'm I'm not I think I'm gonna stop here because I can be a, a, do a diatribe on this for some time to come. There's a lot more to see here. We're gonna talk about minor league baseball in in future editions, but I just had to say this whole thing about the reduction of the team still sticks in my craw. We're gonna evaluate some of the things that's happened to the communities and the teams that have. Uh, been let go, so to speak, and see some of the good things that have happened with the new teams that have come in, Brandon. I just want to say something quick. We don't have to go on very long, but two things. Going back to the growing the game, this kind of goes against that because those smaller communities won't feel an allegiance anymore. It's We were talking off air. It's sort of like how in college sports, whether you went to a certain school or you're just a fan of a school, when players move on, whether it's basketball, football, baseball, when they move on to play professionally, you find yourselves rooting for them because they went to your school. So I imagine that's kind of what like these small communities are losing. And if they wanted to improve the facilities and, you know, reduce geographical separation, all that fancy stuff. What is cutting teams going to do with improving facilities when, you know, it doesn't seem like the major league parent clubs are contributing very much to it because we know they can afford it. It doesn't seem like they're contributing much to it. And why couldn't they just like reshuffle affiliations so they're more geographical, geographically relevant? I I couldn't think of the word. Why couldn't they just do that? I don't know, brother. I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm at a loss of words if that's such, if that's possible. And uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to watch how the season unfolds. And for those of you who do have a minor league team in your system in your city, just remember you are hopefully going to see them. And shortly, I guess after the, um, after spring training starts. So I guess we're looking at March. We'll have more about the minor leagues and, and their schedules and that sort of thing in upcoming issues, or uh, upcoming episodes, that is. I would like to take a look at some past episodes we've done. 
And I'll have you take a look, if you would, at there's an episode we have on the Fresno Grizzlies. That's one I might give you a little more insight about how one city is faring with uh, changes in minor leagues. And also, um, Brandon, we did, I guess it was last week, we were talking about Trevor Barr and his salary. Uh, he said something the other day on social media that I had long forgotten, but the unique nature of the agreement he has with his lawyer or agent, Rachel Luba. You know, I, I think of like last the year, but the year before when we saw Garrett Coe sign that huge contract, I think it was like $36 million a year for like 13 years, and Scott Boris was his agent. And without knowing the specifics of that, in most cases, the agent gets anywhere from 5 to 15% of that contract. Going back to Trevor Barr and Rachel Luba, Rachel doesn't charge a percentage. She does a flat fee, at least per what Trevor Barr was saying. So whatever time, I guess, she has invested and paperwork, whatever she has to do, he was reporting that it would be the same whether she had gotten a player a million dollars or $40 million a year. So that's kind of interesting because it made me think of accident lawyers. It's like, we'll take your case if we can go ahead and get you a bunch of million dollars, but uh, we won't be talking with you otherwise. And then, you know, you have somebody like Rachel Luba who's, actually interested in just taking care of players, period. So anyway, just wanted to bring that up as kind of a footnote to our past show about Trevor Barr and his new contract. Yeah, it's definitely a smart move from her, I think. Yeah, and I think she serves people better that way. So that little footnote, that's something we'll probably go ahead and put to also up on Twitter. We'll keep news like that coming up. So you're going to be able to see us there. Something beyond just what we're going ahead and talk to you about here on the podcast. We're going to make sure that we get that information to you also with any updates on our Twitter accounts. And that's with Brandon at Sports Blitz Pod and myself, Mark, at The Baseball Biz. So you can look there for more information. And if you want to leave us any kind of comments or send us messages there, we certainly welcome it. Uh, Brandon, you got any passing or final words to share with our audience today? Well, it's sad that there's no more hot stove but it's happy because it's officially baseball season now. That's it, my friend. You're absolutely right. So we're going to have that going. And again, we want to thank you all again for joining us today. And as always, you can remember that you'll be able to find us on The Baseball Biz at iHeartRadio, podcast.google, Apple, iTunes, Audible. Oh, my gosh, where else? Stitcher. And we want to thank you for seeing us there. Also, special thanks to X-Take RUX for the music rocking forward. And we look forward to seeing you again real soon.